Praise God. Amen. <laughs> Father in heaven, we thank you for the opportunity to come before your throne and, and receive what you have for us. And we want to be blessed, Lord. We want to increase. We want to learn. We want to be empowered to do your will, to do your work, to uh, do it to the fullest extent that we can, Father. So we thank you for opening up our hearts and minds and we will be attentive to what you have to say to us today in Jesus' name. Amen and praise God. Amen. 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 I'm going to talk to you today about um, uh, God's power to sustain us through trial uh, so that you'll understand that when you can't, he can. Amen. But I did want to uh, give you a scripture for the prophecy we had earlier about the hidden part of the body, you know, the uh, intercessor uh, being the hidden part. Uh, because many times people who pray uh, get a little frustrated that, you know, they don't get encouraged. They don't, you know how that goes sometimes. The devil starts working. You'll, you'll do something and, and you want to give God glory for it. And then the devil wants you to try and take it back, you know, through frustration. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, I, I prayed about uh, uh, this scripture many years ago and the Lord explained to me uh, what what he meant in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 23 those members of the body which we think are less honorable or less comely upon those we bestow more abundant honor and our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness for our comely parts have no need but God hath tempered the body together having given more abundant honor to that part which lacks that there should be no no uh, break or schism in the body but that the members should have the same care one for another and whether one member suffers all members suffers with it or one member is honored all members are uh, rejoice with it now you are the body of Christ and members in particular and God has said in, in the church, first apostles, second prophets, etc., etc. So what God is saying here that there are some parts of your human body that stay covered up because they're less comely. You, you understand what I'm saying? It just for them to be uncovered uh, brings shame and it brings embarrassment and it's just not it's just wrong to uncover them. And so this is this is how God treats the spiritual body as well, he showed me. He said that he keeps people who pray, you know, for the most part, prayer is a small group of people. I've seen people who have tried to get big group prayer and it seldom works. I think the only person who can really do that is Pastor Cho over in Korea. And theirs is an assignment. Now they are commanded to pray 24 hours a day. And when I think about it, they've been praying since I know the late 70s, early 80s. And they, they keep a wall. They, they say their prayers uh, provide a wall between them and North Korea that wants to come in, that's communist and wants to come in and take over. Of course, we all know uh, what North Korea is like. And so, but they also are praying for both, both Koreas to be reunified together in Christ. And amen. So there's a dual purpose uh, to that prayer. And so, but, but my understanding is that, uh, people just go in and start praying in the Holy Ghost. There's no 
understood prayer whatsoever uh and it's 24 7 uh people have been there say it sounds like a roar or thunder in there when people amen when they're praying when you hear them pray and people just go when they come in from work and they have a few an hour or so to spend they go in there and join the prayer and it is continuous and so uh but that is the that's the one exception to that large number of people that pray. And that's because God assigned them to do that. When you're assigned to do stuff, you get the grace to do it and the anointing to do it. It makes it easy. It is not hard. But for the most part, prayer traditionally has been small groups. It traditionally has been people that are satisfied and and uh, content with their role and with understanding. There's a communication that God generally does with people who pray uh, to give them an understanding of how to be encouraged and how to continue. Uh, if you're just praying for what you need, you're not really what we call an intercessor. You know what I'm saying? Because intercession means that you lay your life down and closing the gap between God and somebody else who has a need. So it's a sacrificial ministry. Uh, it's not something that you can just go and pat yourself on the back. You may go many years uh, not getting uh, confirmation or, or evidence uh, that that prayer is working or that it's heard. I remember some years back, uh, God explained to us that, that he was accelerating time and that there would be... A, at, at the most, a five-year gap between when we pray and when we see evidence and see results. And it's accelerated ever since then. It's been quick. You understand what I'm saying? It's been very rapid. As a prophetic, true prophetic anointing increases in the earth, things happen a lot faster. That's what it's for is to put the correct timing on things so that you don't pray and then you get bored and you wait 15 years and then you start confessing unbelief and then you understand what I'm saying. You walk away from your prayer. Um, the anointing on that prayer is what makes a difference and puts it in the right time manifestation. And so uh, this is why God is releasing uh, true prophets into the earth and this is why their voices fought so much is because he wants to start wrapping things up you know it's like time and uh, when time starts to accelerate he starts to release prophecy and and prophets who know what to say and when to say it and so he's getting us accustomed uh, i i would say to to the voice of the prophet through personal blessing you know where they can come with a word for you personally to bless your life and that causes us to accept and receive that gift but then it's going to change to the necessary things. Amen. It's not going to be about you all the time. Even though we don't want to hear that. But, uh, you know, and, and it is time for us to grow up and start understanding that there's much more to do, uh, in God than we have been doing. And, uh, we can get out there and do some of the tough things that others do, uh, sacrificial things that, that God can move great mountains as a result of, of your prayer. So stay with it. Just want to encourage you in in that to let you know that you are a hidden gem. Amen. You are a hidden gem. So receive that. Don't sit there and let it bounce off your brain or, you know, get sarcastic on the inside or let it and shrug it off because it's, it's not true at all. 
some of you young people have prayed almost as much as the older ones are because you prayed for many many years so uh and and I like it that God says uh he he uh holds our prayers in heaven our hair, our prayers are held in a bottle amen and so he preserves that uh it's not your big buildings that he preserves and it's not your big numbers but he holds your prayers your prayers are what amen what he holds precious and indefinitely not our preaching <laughs> sometimes we on sometimes we off but uh, you know how that goes too but the prayer definitely he he holds on to that and that's precious to him amen so praise god so i want you to turn to first samuel chapter 25 I, i'm not sure how i want to present this to you but i do want to make you aware of the fact that we are all on the way to uh um an assigned place we have a goal god is a a goal oriented god he is a god who uh makes known uh, a vision that he has for for the the earth and for the world and so um god wants to see people saved that's his main goal is to take people out of the hands of the devil and he is using the church to do it and so uh but part of what he does is he places people in position uh as leaders to do his will and so i was thinking about david and uh how how oftentimes you could see in his life on his way to becoming the king of Israel, he was um, uh, entrapped by the enemy. He was discouraged. He was he just had ups and downs. There was a lot of warfare on the way to your wonderfulness. You know, I mean, we all get these wonderful, <laughs> wonderful uh, visions and wonderful prophecies. But, you know, on the way to your wonderful, uh, there's a lot of uh, pitfalls and there's a lot of traps of the enemy to ensnare us to keep us from getting to where we we are to go but god understands everything and when you can't go any further he can amen so always look for god to be your help and to undertake for you uh even even though it might be a difficult thing that you're going through um it it just is very very important to understand into the rope comes to everybody uh in in you know when you're new in the things of god your rope is real short and so as you get older in god you know you tend to have a little bit more patience and longevity but even that sometimes you can wonder you know where am i going with this is this going to get any better it's is it going to reverse is it going to go the way that I'm praying for it to go. And so David had those situations and, and I just want to share with you a few ways that God can come to you and help you and get you beyond those end of your rope, uh, kind of situations. So in, uh, first Samuel, they say, what did I say? 20. I want to say 25. Amen. Yeah, it's First Samuel 25. The backdrop of this story is, uh, I'll, the one I want to read to you is about where God intervened. How David got to the end of his rope and God intervened. Um, David uh, can't even live with his own family now because he is running from King Saul. Saul is, is a dis- uh, disobedient leader. 
And uh, God has decided to fire Saul, and he's hired David. And so we know the story when Samuel the prophet went up to Ramah, where uh, and and uh, he God spoke to him. He told him to go over to Jesse's house. Jesse had I think twelve sons or nine or something like. David was one of about more than a dozen boys in that family, and he told him he he would uh, have him anoint the new king of Israel. Of course, Samuel. Samuel's looking in the natural. He thinks, oh, this is the one, this is the one, this is the one. And uh, none of them's the one. Then he finally starts hearing from God. And he says, well, God, none of these are the one. Uh, then he asks Jesse if he has another boy there. And he says, yeah, there's one. And he's out keeping the sheep. And so they bring David in. Uh, you know, God doesn't care what you're wearing when he anoints you. When it's time, it's time. Amen. Because the anointing really is your new clothing anyway. So he's ready to dress you up real good. And so uh, David then is anointed king of Israel. And how many of you know when when the anointing is upon you, everybody knows it. Whether they like it or not, they know it. It's something that's that's pretty much detectable. And so uh, this anointing that David now carries becomes a trouble to King Saul. Even though David has been anointed to minister as a singer, this, uh, this other anointing's new. See, people can accept you in one gift, but when you start to get something else that they don't know about, they don't like that. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people that start out singing and then God will start them prophesying if they stay with it the song of the Lord will start coming to them and they'll have a word of correction to everybody in the house instead of being happy and singing now they feel bad huh? <laughs> all y'all in sin cut it out say up the Lord and they just go back to banging on the keyboard huh? Well, you know, that's God. God does what he wants to when he wants to. Amen. Amen. And so when when we see things like this, we understand that there is conflict that comes because of the anointing. Many people think that because they're called, they got trouble. Many are called, but few are chosen. It's the choosing of God that really gets you in trouble. Amen. Because the calling's there for everybody. Everybody's called. But, but when God chooses you, that's, that means He empowers you. The anointing is the choosing of God. Amen. And so when you're chosen, it means that somehow you have passed God's test (laughs) for choosing. Now, if I could tell you what that was, and everybody could study and get the exam, AC exam, I tell you. I don't know what it is. You understand what I'm saying? I know that there are people who can discern the anointing and they want it, but they don't want to pay the price for it. And that's real common. That's more common than not. People say, uh, well, you know, I I, want to be anointed as a prophet. I want to prophesy. And I say, okay, we'll see. Here we see. You know, and, and they can't keep an assignment for like a year before they whining and I said, no, you're not a prophetess, you're a sheep. I can tell because you're going, I want to do it. <laughs> Too much noise. 
Amen. And so, you know, you, you have to be willing to follow the Lord everywhere, anywhere. You don't care. You don't call the shots anymore. And that is very hard for people to do. Even after they're anointed to a degree, they level out because they don't want to go any further. You know, someone will tell you, I, listen, I, I, it cost me everything. The last time God told me to do something, something, something different from him, I, I don't want to do that no more. Uh, but you stay there and you die. You, you know, after you're anointed, you get started in it. You don't have any choice but to keep going for another dose. Huh? Cause that's the only thing that's going to help you. You, you, you know, you, you, you have to, the hair of the dog that bit you is what you need when you got a hangover. You know, y'all know what I'm talking about. Don't look at me like, I grew up in the church and I was praising God when I was six months old. You liar. Huh? Yeah. People drink a lot, get hangovers. They tell you, what'd you drink last night? Vodka. Get some hair of the dog and that'll straighten you right up. You dose on the same thing that got you drunk will get you sober. It's that way with the anointing. If it got you in trouble, you're going to have to go farther with God to get yourself out of it. Amen. So, amen. So anyway, when you, when you understand, I see you learn something in two realms now. You, you can't get better than that, folks. But, uh, and this is true, you know, Peter, no, when, uh, uh, Paul, when, when he and Silas got thrown in jail for doing what? Using the anointing. They cast the devil out of that girl. What was what got them out? Bring the anointing back again. They worshiped God and the whole jail shook. Huh? They began to pray and sing praises to God and that whole place shook. So if, if you got in trouble for praying, you're gonna have to pray yourself out. If you got in trouble for laying hands on a, a person and, and they got, and God healed them, you're gonna have to continue to pray for the sick to get yourself beyond the, or, or the devil will kill you right at that spot. He won't let you go any, any further. So it takes more anointing of God and, and God has ways of getting it into us the main way is through self-sacrifice you can't go your own way anymore can't do what you want when you want you have to be led of god you can't get in the flesh and go hurting people even though you have the power to do it you've got to stay with god and be led of him and let him lead you out of it so uh Samuel passes away, and so David now is really on his own. Samuel was kind of a, a backup help to him uh, when he would get in trouble. Now Samuel's passed away, so then that 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 person he relied on, or that confidence he had to hear from God, is now missing from his life. Um, the other part of it too is he is on the run from King Saul who is still king of Israel. David has not been installed as king of Israel. What's going to have to happen before David can assume that office is Saul is going to have to die, and everybody knows it. The question is, is he going to die at David's hand, or is he going to die some other way? And so in order for David to come into the the the. Uh, office in a clean way, he has to allow God to place him there. He can't take it 
for himself, even though he's anointed. See, that's a caution to some people who you're in somebody's church. There's already a pastor in the pulpit and God begins to anoint you and use you to do some things. You can't go get a group of people and say, we're going to push that man of God out. You got me? Because you'll never amount to anything in God if, if you start taking uh, and, and harming people who are anointed. You know, the anointing of God means that that's God's servant. No man is allowed to push them around. Amen. Or tell them what to do or anything. God placed them in that position. And so you can't just push people around because you think, well, I know more than they do. And look at, you know, all the complaining sheep, you know, the, the churches are full of them. They get in little corners and want to start tearing things down, you know, eating up the furniture and, <laughs> you know, running through everything. And so they need to be disciplined and, and, you know, they need to be stopped because you can do yourself a lot of harm. Now, God's going to take care of that man or woman of God. You understand what I'm saying? He'll take care of them, but you know, your life won't, won't be right until you get to understand, you know, you gotta repent and, and make things right, uh, with things and, and not touch God's anointed. You let them people alone. And so, what God begins to do here is He's teaching David how to trust Him in the hard things. Because David sees the throne right ahead of him. He can almost touch it. But what's, what's, uh, what's amiss is that there's somebody else in that seat right now and they're aware that David is anointed. And so David is in a very difficult place. So David's now on the run. He's going to different places. One of the places that he visits is a Philistine stronghold. And he does that in a way to, I would say, to make it look like he's given up all desire to be king of Israel. Once you go and start joining us, he, is the, he killed Goliath, one of their champions. Now that worked for him respect-wise real well. In Israel, he was respected, but he was hated by the present king. In Philistine country, he was respected and feared by all of them. And so God had him get that honor on his enemies and, and it carried him, uh, to, with an ability to hide from the enemy, uh, to a great degree. So David is kind of like a hustler as far as his livelihood is concerned. When he was living with his father, everything was taken care of. He's an adult now. He's got, uh, a wife and he's got children and, there's conflict there, but pretty much he has to now fend for himself and he doesn't have his familiar things for his livelihood. And so that means that he has to listen to God ever more closely. He's got to pay more attention. See, when your natural props are removed from you, that's when you really have to be attentive to God. 
the things that you are comfortable with, you're familiar with, that have always supported and encouraged you, when those things are removed, that's when you really do get on your own in God. And so we see David here. Fortunately, there are a group of men who have decided to join themselves to David. They are mighty men. They admire David, and they decide to uh, work with him and go with him. And so as a way of of um, supporting themselves, David and some of these men finds uh, some shepherds out in a field one night and that nobody's really standing guard over them. And and back in the day, if you if you were a shepherd, you were in charge of taking care of the sheep, but you also had helpers who would guard physically all your property. And this this group belonged to a man by the name of Nabal, and he was a very wealthy man. He had a lot of flocks, he had a lot of herds, but he didn't have a lot of sense in how to protect what he had. And so these young men who are working for him are vulnerable because really David and his men could have came up, take the sheep, killed everybody, and been on their merry way. Because that's how he lived. It wasn't that he didn't, he wouldn't, wouldn't have done it because God wouldn't let him. He was doing it all the time. In other places, he would go and kill everybody. So he wouldn't leave any witnesses to, to know that David and his men came here and took all our stuff. So he was like a, a bandit. He was, he had a dark side, I guess you could say to him, or, or a, a everyday side where he knew how to survive. He knew how to fight and how to take. But for some reason, they decide to care for these young men. And so when he, once they do that, the young men are returned to their, their farm where they belong, all of their sheep intact and, and everything's all good. And so David decides to ask the owner of the property if he would just provide provision for the young men in, in, uh, in return for them having spared all of, all of that. Now, Customarily, if somebody paid you a kindness, you paid them a kindness back or you were cursed. And people really believed that and it really happened. So if you, it was like stealing. If somebody, when they offer peace to you, you should return their peace to them. And so David, being a covenant-minded person, he lived like this. So he sends the young men and, and asks them to go to the, the owner of the property and ask for some provision. And it says here, um, uh, in verse uh, 25, verse, uh, <laughs> verse 9. When David's young men came, they spoke to Nabal according to all the words in the name of David. And Nabal answered David's servants and said, Who is David? And who is the son of Jesse? There's a lot of runaway slaves out here <laughs> that break away from, from every man from his master. So he knows something about David. By reputation, he's heard something about him already. Because he knows that he's on the run. 
See, David really worked for Saul. Now he's running away from him. So he thinks David's some kind of runaway somebody. He said, should I take my bread and my water and my animals that I've killed for my shears and give it to men that I don't even know who they are? So David's young men turned their way and went again and came and told him all these things. Now, David's not, he's out, he's desperate, he's out on the run, he's extended himself, he's sown seed, and he's not getting any return on it. David said to his men, put everybody's sword on, and they girded every man his sword, and David also girded on his sword. And they went up after David, about 400 men, 200 stayed by their stuff that they had. But one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, Behold, David sent messengers out of the wilderness to salute our master, and he based him out. You know, he told him off and refused to help. But the men were very good to us, and we were not hurt. We haven't missed anything as long as as they were around us and we were in the fields. And they were like a wall to us. Both day and night. So here's people who are willing to risk their own lives and their comfort for the sake of somebody else. So that sacrifice has to be honored. And all the while we were with them keeping the sheep. Now therefore know and consider what you will do. For evil is determined against our master and against all his household. For he is such a son of Belial that man cannot speak to him. So Abigail happens to be married to a man who is a thug. She, she calls him Nabal. The word Nabal really means fool. So he's a very foolish man. In other words, he's somebody you can't talk to him. You understand what I'm saying? And so when you're considered David, he's off by himself having to fend for himself without support and without help. Abigail is in the same boat. She has natural provision, she has servants, but she's under the authority of a man who does a lot of unwise things and is hard to reason with. And so she's in what we would call an abusive relationship. Now that's our definition of abusive. Uh, the world's definition now. Uh, if you know God, you don't get abused. Uh, I said if you know God. If you quit knowing Oprah, you quit knowing past, uh, what's his name, Dr. Phil. You quit knowing all them people and you start to know God. Your day of deliverance will come. Amen. And you're not an abused person. You don't see Abigail getting up and going nowhere. You don't see her doing any of those things. She instead decided to get to know God instead. Amen. I don't know anybody who's married to a perfect person. But you make up your mind to love, 
You make up your mind to obey. You make up your mind to sacrifice. Other than that, I was, I was telling somebody, I said, there are so many single elderly people around now. I'll think about it. There's a whole a community that was just developed in Oregon somewhere. I was I saw it, and and there's so many single elderly people where you used to see couples and they lived together and you know had their own house and these people can barely make a living for themselves and the numbers are increasing. Now why is that? Uh, it's because people don't stay together. They choose to when you're young, huh? And you like, I gotta get out of here while I'm still young. You know, you'll say that till you get 80. And you'll be out there barely making it, living by yourself. Bible says two are better than one. Huh? But see, we don't like hearing that kind of stuff because everybody's got one foot out the door. The truth be told. You know, cause commitment's a nasty word now. We don't like to commit to nothing. Sacrifice, you don't hear that anymore. Amen. Amen. You, you, you look at people, you know, if you sacrifice and you say, well, it's not the best marriage, but you know what? I made a commitment and people laugh you out of existence. Huh? But it works. God honors, God is in charge of marriage. If you let him. People don't just up and get married on their own. There's too much sacrifice involved. We'd rather live with somebody and call ourselves having a better deal than to make a commitment and trust God to hold it together. So she decided to honor her vow. Abigail knew how to lay low and pray. I likes her. Because uh, <laughs> when you lay low and pray, you get wise. When you learn how to lay low and pray, you learn how to prophesy your way through stuff. You learn how to talk, how to keep quiet, and how to speak up. You get wisdom. huh? Instead of getting popped and laying flat on the floor half the time. Huh? That's the truth. There is no wisdom in chasing some man around the room and trying to make him listen to you. You know, he'll just say, Oh, oh, did, oh, what you doing down there? I was just stretching. <laughs> Y'all better wake up or I'm going to stay right here and keep playing this record. I'm going to put it on repeat. <laughs> huh? You gotta use some sense, man. There's more to you than your marriage. You got words of knowledge on the inside of you. You got help for somebody. You got somebody's deliverance on the inside of you. Are you gonna put everything on the line to win an argument? Uh-huh. So the husband to run his mouth. See, you can't have too many crazy running mouth people in one house. You got somebody that got as much sense as he that you need to shut up. Cause you'll learn a lot 
just letting them run their mouth and seeing how far that gets. So she had a little system in the household. The servants knew how to go report him to her when he got out of hand. You got a crazy people person living in your house. You need to learn how to get information for what you need. You understand what I'm saying? The servants knew how to go around, go behind his back, say, "Look, Abigail, he added again. Now you really, we really in trouble. I know I said we was in trouble the last time they said, but we really in trouble this time, huh? Because David and they knew what the penalty was." If you didn't return a kindness to somebody. Because these are covenant people. They live by the law of the covenant. If you, if you didn't, if you reaped something from somebody, they're entitled to, to, for you to sow something into their lives. You don't just rip people off like that. So this servant tells her, you know, evil is determined against our master and all his household. Amen. So this is the time for her to go into action. Verse 18, because she made haste. Uh, She hurried up and got some provision together, got everything together, and she put it on uh, her donkeys. In verse 19, she said to her servants, go on before me. I'm coming after you. In other words, I'm your protection. Huh? The Bible says the man and the woman are one. Many times men delegate responsibility to their wives. They're not just dumping on you. Amen. You have delegated responsibility. That's why women live longer than men. Huh? It's a known fact. Because we take on their abilities, we take on their strength, we take if you listen, if you stop being hard headed and want to have something to say all the time. Huh? I was shocked. Once my husband passed away, I said, huh, I didn't know I was smart like that. Huh? Because <laughs> I needed to be. You know, and I found out, I said, you don't have to talk to the dead. You don't have to keep saying, well, honey, what do I do? And he up in heaven. You ain't going to get no answer. You're going to have to draw from that well within you and come up with the right answer. But I haven't lost the money he left. I spent some, but you know what I'm saying. Girl got to live. But I haven't lost no property. I ain't lost nothing. You understand me? Sister has held on. Didn't know I was so gifted. But anyway, and so it was so. She, she, in verse 19, she told her servants, you go, but, uh, she did not tell her husband. That's not, that's what's called discretion. That's not sneaky. When you do it on your own, you sneak it. When God tells you to do it, it's discretion. Okay. So we in life-saving mode for her. And so it, when she got down there, she came to the bottom of the hill and David and his men confronted her and she met them. She came proper. You got me? You don't come lying. You don't come telling on nobody. You don't come stirring nothing up. Blaming somebody and accusing somebody. 
Now she could have said, listen, David, now I don't know about you, but you know, my husband, he just real stupid. And, and David said, yeah, and I'm going to cut you first, and then I'm going to go get him and the servant. So she knows how to listen to God. Verse 21, David says, say this, he says, surely in vain, I have kept all that this man had in the wilderness so that nothing was missed of all that pertained to him. And he has given me evil for good. Then he said, so and more also shall God do to the enemies of David if I leave anybody, any male. First he was going to kill everybody. Then Abigail shows up and he goes... Okay, not her. (laughs) He ain't stupid. Huh? She got a lot of stuff, too. In about five minutes, that could be mine. All of it. Huh? So, anyway... He, he, he swore first he's gonna get everybody. So he swears again, just the men, not the women. Okay? So he was under an oath to destroy everybody. Verse 20, when, 23, when Abigail saw David, she hurried, got off of the donkey, and fell before David on her face and bowed herself to the ground. Now, when somebody humbles themselves before you, you must hear them. You must hear them. Don't let my Lord, I pray you regard this man, Abelial, even Nabal, so is his name, and, and, but I am your handmaiden, and I didn't, didn't see the young men, so I'm the one who really is responsible to do these things in the household. You know, Nabal is not the one to talk to, I am. And so would you please accept my apology and accept This offering that I'm putting before you. So David's anger starts to calm down a little bit. But God knows he has to give David something to go on because Samuel's dead. David's running around the Philistine. He's living with sinners all the time. He's got no contact with God. And so when you are getting to the end of your rope where you can't go any further before God will allow you to sin and sin bigly and cancel everything that he's doing for you, he will send you a word. He will always send you a word. He is not going to let everything he's invested in you for your good and for the kingdom good to be thrown away on a, on a, on a moment of weakness. Yes. Pressure's too much. The devil's hitting you too hot and too heavy. You didn't have enough. You're going to kill a bear body because the devil's provoked you into it. God knows what the devil is doing. So David then is is presented with a choice here. He can either listen and let God help him or he can can avenge himself and and let it all in right there and take his chances just running from Philistine camp to Philistine camp and and not ever ascending to the throne of Israel. 
Verse 26, now therefore, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, seeing that the Lord has withholden you from coming to shed innocent blood. Now, wait a minute, Abigail. I'm here to fight now. What you mean God's withholding me? What you mean God is keeping me back from kill? What you mean? Huh? In this situation, Abigail's God is a little bit bigger than David's God. See, when you're tired and you're fed up and you're tired of waiting on the breakthrough and waiting on the biggie and waiting on this and waiting on that, your God has gotten real small. You just shrunk him down and your problem's bigger than his is. So God has to send somebody whose God is bigger than yours. Amen. Amen. So Abigail steps up to the plate. She starts out humbling herself. And that gets her into God's favor. So that when she begins to speak, she's not just speaking to David about her situation. And the servants. She starts talking to David about David. Yes. And see, because David is a man who respects God and has a covenant with God, he recognizes God's voice. So this not only represents David's salvation, but it represents a a change in David's um, uh, manner of connecting with God. See, David's got to live on the run now. He's got to live on the fly. And he's going to have to have God run with him on the fly in order for him to help him. Samuel's dead. David's not near any priests at all that he can go to and, and they can get a word from God for him. So he's detached in a way where if he's not careful, he's going to think there's no hope for him in God at all. But then God shows him that if you will let me, I will bring word to you in unfamiliar ways, ways that you're not accustomed to. And I want you to start trusting me in a different way. You got me? So here God begins to change how he approaches David and how David approaches his future. And David, I understand you're on the run. I understand you can't do anything better than what you're doing. I'm running with you. I'll bring a word to you. When you get so far away from me, I'll, I know how to snatch you back in. And so God will use these unlikely people. And who would think a woman married to a professional nut and an alcoholic would know anything about God. You think she probably living low like he is. You know, she probably got a blade on her and ready to cut somebody, you know, because she's living on the edge. But she learns how to press into God for the things that she needs. That's why the servants know to come to her when there's trouble. Amen? So she says there, uh, forgive the trespass of your handmaiden. For the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house because my Lord fights the battles of the Lord. And evil has not been found in you all these days. So in other words, 
She ministers to David the way a priest would. See, the priest is the one who clears you of wrongdoing so you can go on your merry way. And she said, David, don't throw it all away. You haven't messed up. I know it's been hard for you and you've been living on the edge and doing a lot of stuff you're not supposed to do. She she says, but God has not counted it against you all these days. In other words, your sins are forgiven, David. Don't throw it all away because you're angry. Then she tells him, yet a man is risen to pursue you and to seek your soul. Well, he really gets interested now. He saw she know everything. Hold it. Stop the train. I'm getting off. She says, but your soul is bound in the bundle of life. In other words, Debbie, you're going to make it through this. The bundle of life, what, what, what the, the, uh, shepherds did was they had two pouches like Chuck's pack. She keeps supposed to be keeping my money in there, but <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Credit card, papers, and all kind of crazy stuff up in there. I'm yet to see much money, but we're working on it, right, Chuck? But they would carry what they call a script or a pouch. And one was called the bundle of life because that's where your food and your provision, you had, you had raisins in there and stuff that you could eat walking. So that was a bundle of life. It kept your life going. The other one kept your weapons in there. So they would, they would often keep rocks in there for slingshots. Amen. And so that was, you know, another bundle that had your weapons in it. But, but Abigail tells him, that you're in the bundle of life. She said, your soul is bound up in there. In other words, God's got you in his pocket. You can't get out. You're going to live, David. You've been, you're a programmed for life. You're not, don't throw all of this away just because you're having a hard time right now. She says this too. She said, and I'll tell you, it'll come to pass when you have done according to all the good. That God has spoken concerning you and you have appointed you ruler over Israel. That this man will be no grief to you. In other words, David, it looks like a big thing because of where you are right now. But there's going to come a time, if you let this go, there will come a time when you're going to sit in the throne of Israel and you're going to look back at this and say, I could have thrown it all away. But I decided not to. And she said, when you look back, you're going to see this is a small thing compared to what you have when God puts you on the throne. And so Abigail, in her distress, her batteredness, you know, mean husband, no good husband, whatever, whatever. In that, she makes up her mind she's going to live and press into God. And that's where her salvation is. And it winds up that that's where David's salvation is. And so she said, this is not going to be any grief to you. And she said, and uh, by the way, (coughs) David, when you get there, (laughs) my name's Abigail. (laughs) Remember me? With the brown eyes? You know what I'm saying. Whatever. And she asked to be remembered kindly. People did that. When they would, in, and this seals in him. Now this is the thing. When people were in the midst of royalty, they asked favors. Because you need favors. 
And so her saying that to him in the condition he's in now, she's showing him honor as though he is already king. So she's got faith that she infuses to him and strengthens him to tough it out another tough because there's going to come some more situations. But I'm sure at some point, the next next hard place he gets to, he remembers these words. And blessed be, David said in verse 32, he said to Abigail, he said, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, which sent you this day to meet me. And blessed is your advice, and blessed are you which have kept me this day from coming to shed blood and avenging myself with my own hand. See, David's accustomed to letting God fight his battles for him. For in every deed, as the Lord God of Israel liveth, which have kept me back from hurting you, except you had hasted to come to meet me, surely there had not been left anybody into Nabal from the uh, Nabal's men um, this time tomorrow. So David received of her hand, that's where she had brought him, and said to her, go up in peace to your house. He said, I'm listening to you. I'll listen to you and I've accepted you as a person. And Abigail came to Nabal and behold, he's in there drunk and partying as usual. Amen. He's feasting like a king. Nabal was drunk. It says his heart was merry within him for he was drunk. Wherefore she told him nothing more or less until the morning light. So she didn't she's sense enough to not talk to him when he's drinking. So this is probably something that she's accustomed to doing. You know, it's the worst thing in the world to talk to a drunken devil. You can't reason with the devil. So she goes to bed, but that next morning when she got up she blabbed it. Huh? She got him sober. Nabal, you know what, by the way, you sober yet? Oh, yeah. By the way, let me tell you what happened yesterday. By the time she got finished putting the writer's embellishment in and said, I didn't know what I was going to do. Because, I mean, he was 10 steps from the house, but I said, Lord, help me. And I just stepped right up there. And just, by the time she got finished working, that mother with the truth, he had a stroke. From which he never recovered. Huh? So, lo and behold, David hears about the stroke. Poor Abigail, poor wealthy Abigail's up there by herself, David. Oh, my Lord. Huh? So that's how David wound up marrying Abigail. Amen. Took her to wife. Nobody got killed. Nobody divorced nobody. Nobody stole nothing from nobody. Nobody took nothing that wasn't theirs. They waited on the Lord. Amen. So when you're up against a brick wall, God will send a word to you to rescue you. Amen. He always sends a word to rescue you. Get in your word. You got a Bible. You get in a word. That word is there to rescue you. And so God will send help to you. Amen. In um, 2 Samuel 26, turn there. We got another situation with David. This one actually, where are we at? 25, okay. 26 and verse 
Verse 1, and the Ziphites came to Saul at Gibeah saying, does not David hide himself in the hill of Hechalah, which is before Jeshimon? Then Saul arose and went down to the wilderness of Ziph, having 3,000 chosen men of Israel with him to seek David in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul pitched in the hill of Hechalah, which is before Jeshimon, by the way, but David abode in the wilderness and he saw Saul uh, saw that Saul came after him into the wilderness. So David's running for, from Saul. He's not looking for him. But he sees Saul. And so God allows him to know where when the enemy's close. David therefore sent out spies and understood that Saul was come in very deed. Now, if you see how David handles himself, he... He handled himself well in the palace when he was in the palace with Saul. Now he's got to handle himself in rough conditions in the wilderness. This forces David to learn how to fight, learn how to strategize, learn how to use the people who are around him, learn how to discern gifts and abilities in all these 600 men who continue to follow him. This forces him to train, to get Holy Ghost training in warfare. Because if you think about it, when David came and killed Goliath, he was leaning on his experience as a shepherd boy. Now he's going to have to learn how to fight real people. And so here he is. And if he can preserve his life, the most important thing for a warrior is that he come home alive. Amen. That's very important. And that's what God wants from him is that he suffered no harm. So David sent out spies and understood that Saul was come and David arose and came to the place where Saul had pitched and David beheld the place where Saul lay and Abner the son of Ner the captain of his host and Saul lay in the trench and the people pitched around him. So Saul got all these people, he got armor bearers, he got this, he got that and then answered David and said to Ahimelech the Hittite and Abishai the sons of Zariah, brother to Joab, saying, Who will go down with me to, uh, to Saul to the camp? And Abishai said, I'll go with you. David and Abishai came to the people by night and beheld Saul was sleeping within the trench. His spear was stuck in the ground, his bolster, uh, at his bolster, but Abner and the people uh, were laying down around him. Then Abishai said to David, God hath delivered your enemy into your hand this day. Now therefore let me kill him with a spear even to the earth at once, and I will smite him a second time. And David said to him, Destroy him not, for who can stretch forth his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? David said, furthermore, as the Lord liveth and as the Lord, the Lord will smite him or this day shall, uh, or his day shall come to die or he shall descend to battle and perish. So David is saying, I'm swearing by the Lord that I am not going to lift my hand against Saul. So you see, David has to resist the temptation to move in his own power. This is true of every leader, every leader you see in the Bible that God ever chose beginning with Abraham. 
they had to learn how to get wisdom from God for how to fight battles. You couldn't go in there in your own strength and survive. In fact, when God would, would take Israel into battle, he what would he do? He'd send a praise team in first. I always thought that was pretty cute. You know, they're going into battle, they're blowing horns and playing drums and stuff. People go, huh? Okay. That's you know there's power there even in the natural realm because when you think about it standing armies always have musicians. You see the army has a bugle corps, they have a choir, they have all that kind of stuff. When they were the British were famous for going into battle, they had the drummer who would go in and all of that and the you know that kind of stuff. So that was was a show of power and a show of strength for them to go in that way. But God would have his people go in and only collect the spoils. Very often they didn't fight anybody. If they, if they had enough strength, those enemies would turn and run. They would turn on each other and kill each other. But seldom did Israel had to do anything except go and move people out of the way and collect the spoils and take the land. And so, uh, God, God had that as a provision for his people. So David, uh, <clears throat> let me see. David took the spear, verse 12. Let me see. Ah, verse 10. David said, furthermore, as the Lord lives and, and the Lord will kill him or his day will come to die or he'll descend to battle and perish. So David swears that he's not going to lift his hand against Saul. The Lord forbid that I should stretch forth my hand against the Lord's anointed. But I pray you take now the spear that is at his bolster and the cruise of water and let's go. So David took the spear and the cruise of water from Saul's bolster and they got away uh they ran away and no man saw it or knew it because they were all asleep. So here are the people who who guard it just shows you the we- the weakness of wicked people. The people who guard him don't care if he lives or dies. They're just half-hearted in it. And so there's so much weakness in King Saul that David's looking at this and he says, I'm not going to even mess my thing up with God now. I'm not going to do that. And this man is anointed by God. You understand? That's the one thing with anointed people. I tell people all the time, if you know Christians who are backslidden or preachers back, leave them alone. They're the most dangerous people on the face of the earth. Because they'll live in such a way that you'll want to disrespect them. But then the anointing and the power of God can pop on them at any time. And you're in trouble. You understand me? So let God handle people. I know people will run after people. They lead a church and they run after them. Leading people alone. You're not, God doesn't have a retrieval system of the sheep for the sheep. All the sheep trying to survive. Huh? People get in trouble and the first thing they want to do is blame the church. I didn't tell you go sleep with them. My word to you is go home to your wife and your kids where you belong. Then they want to accuse the church of shooting the wounded. No, you wounded yourself. Huh? I'm praying you get out of blame and get enough sense to repent so God can help you. Yes. Hallelujah. 
You know, we live in a world where people push each other up and promote each other real, real quick. You know, back in the day, if if you came to your pastor and said, God called you to preach, and they said, well, we'll find out. And they give you a date for a trial sermon and give you the pulpit. And if the elders didn't think you had it, you went and sat down again. Huh? Well, sure. They want to see evidence. I mean, real people want to see evidence. We all know if you called or not. Get up there in the pulpit and see if you get some help. I mean, seriously. You don't take people's word for that. And let them start prophesying to you and getting you to come to their meeting and all this. You stop that nonsense. People don't have nothing for you. So David took Saul's stuff. Then he got a distance between him and Saul and he cried out to him. Verse 14, David cried to the people and to Abner, the son of Ner, saying, uh, Where are you? Why don't you answer, Abner? Then he answered and said, Who are you that cries to the king? David said to Abner, Aren't you a valiant man? And who is like to you in Israel? Wherefore, then have you not kept my lord the king? For there came one of the people in to destroy the, my lord the king. This thing is not good that you have done. As the Lord lives, you're not worthy to die. But you have not kept your master, the Lord's anointed. And now see where the king's spear is in his cruise of water. So David was holding his stuff hostage. And Saul knew David's voice and said, Is that the voice, my your your voice, my son David. And David said, "It's my voice, O Lord, my Lord, the King." And he said, "Wherefore does my Lord thus pursue after his servant? What have I done? What evil? Have you ever noticed David asked this question of a lot of people when he first came to battle when he fought Goliath? His brothers accused him, and he said, "What did I do?" He's like always in a quandary as to why. He keeps ticking people off. It's the anointing, stupid. Okay? That's going to tick people off, period. When you're anointed and you start opening your mouth, somebody is going to get mad about it. And so David understands. He keeps asking, what did I do to you? And and Saul Saul tells him, he says, you, you've been like an angel to me. You know, he they apologize. And they part and go their separate ways. Amen. David doesn't harm Saul, and Saul doesn't uh, harm David. Amen. And he says to him in verse 25, Saul said to David, Blessed be you, my son David. You shall both do great things, and also you shall still prevail. Here's somebody else prophesying to him. So David went on his way, and Saul returned to his place. Amen. So that that conflict came to a draw. So you see God intervening for David at every single turn. Every time he gets in trouble and he thinks he's got to do something Wrong, God shows up. You see, God will show up. He's a sovereign God. 
He'll show up anyhow in your trouble. The Bible says he is a very present help in your trouble. And so he, he shows up and it's not just because it's Old Testament. God still shows up. He shows up even more for us. Amen. And he will give you a word to keep you in peace so that you can go ahead and, and finish out your course. You can continue to go on and do what God's. Don't throw everything away. You're not a throwaway. God is not throwing you away. God is not done with any of us. He still wants to get us to the finish line that we have agreed with him that we want to get there. So so God is, is doing unique things and great things in our midst if we just would allow him to. What what kind of time do we have, Miss Wana? Thirteen minutes. I gotta put it on speed dial. Alright, so <clears throat> um uh, let me see. In 27, David goes now and joins the Philistines. He's kind of like gotten in his mind. He's got to wait it out with Saul. And the Philistines give him uh, um, Achish, who is one of the, the uh, captains in the Philistine army. Or one of They have like little tribes that they are over in that. And so David is assigned a city where he can live and he can uh, come back and forth to. This has to be God's favor because the Philistines and the Israelites were sworn enemies for life. But God's blessing and God's favor will help you to be able to make peace with people just for a season so you can get the the will of God done, you know. Sometimes those people are not going to be peaceful with you forever. So if when a peace departs, you keep going with the peace. You understand me? But God will get you to a place where you can be peaceful with them. So David acquires the city of Ziklag. And that's where they keep uh, their families and that's where they keep all of their goods. And it, it becomes a stronghold for David out in the wilderness. What David and his men are doing, though, is they are raiding different cities that are enemies of the Philistines. And so that's how he lives. He lives as a warrior. This is how warriors live. They are mercenaries and they fight for the spoil. You need to be that kind of person. You need to fight for the spoil. You're not fighting just to say prayers and recite prayers over and over again. You're fighting for something. There's actually a reward at the end of it. There is a spoil at the end. You should be able to see results to what your prayers are. If, if God has assigned you to pray and you're anointed, your prayers are anointed and he shows up in your prayer, you should see evidence that that prayer comes to pass. And so some of them won't because they'll outlive you. Some of the prayers that you pray will outlive you because some of the ones we pray, they've outlived other saints. But we keep praying. But you should see some evidence at some time. So here David is is living at at Ziklag and he's got all of these uh, uh, the mighty men are living with him and they go out and they raid different camps and they come back and so David uh, in verse uh, 1 Samuel chapter 30 David 
and his men return from raiding places and they go to Ziklag, the, the Philistines have told David, uh, you can have that city, but you're not going to live with us. You're not going to fight with us as a man of war. And so David has offered his services to them and before they've been friendly, but now they've cut him off. So what is it that God's doing when sometimes people who have been friendly to you are not friendly anymore? It's time to move on. Don't try to cling to the familiar just because it's familiar. If God is not there anymore and you're not welcome anymore and you're not being received anymore, that ain't the place for you. Huh? You need to go where it's peaceful, go where you're received, go to the next place. Start asking God, where's my next place that I'm supposed to be? Ask him, where am I supposed to be? What am I supposed to be doing? Now, if it's peaceful and you have real reason for, for, for where you are, then stay there. But if it's not peaceful anymore, and so David then sees a change in the way the Philistines are treating him. So Achish, who is in charge, tells him, the other lords of the Philistines don't want you to fight with us. You can have Ziklag, you can do your own thing, but don't join up with us. For David, that would have been a, a, a nail in the coffin to him being a king of Israel. Because he would be a Philistine lord now. Instead of just living the way he's been living. But in his heart, he wants to get this finished. He wants it settled. He's tired of this. And God knows it. And so he went to, he goes home to Ziklag. And when he comes, he finds a city burned with fire. All of his precious things are gone. The women and children are gone. Uh, So David and his men in verse 3 came to the city and saw it was burned with fire. Their wives, their sons and daughters were taken captive. David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they couldn't cry any longer. David's two wives were taken captive, the Ahinoam and, and Abigail. And David was greatly distressed because the men thought of stoning him. So sometimes when you think you've been through enough and it can't get any worse, it gets worse. This is the worst that it's been for David because he almost loses it. And but David now has has a priest that has come alongside of him. Verse seven, Abiathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, and bring me the ephod. And Abiathar brought him the ephod. And David inquired at the Lord, saying, "Shall I pursue? Shall I overtake?" And he said, "Pursue, and you shall overtake them, and without fail recover all." So David gets. Instead of languishing in difficulty, he takes it upon himself to inquire of the Lord. Now, up to this time, God sends people to David with a word from him. David has a priest who is now living with him at Ziklag. And this man, he decides to set up a system now that he can live by. A legitimate Israelite system whereby he can inquire of the Lord on a continual basis. So he has a priest there with him, a man of God, who can stand in the gap now and intercede and be a permanent uh, connection between him and God. He's setting up himself as a king and doesn't even know it. Wow. 
He's doing it just based on the available people that he has there. He goes back to his, David has had lots of experiences with God. And when it say he encouraged himself in the Lord, what do you do to encourage yourself? See, before he put strapped on his sword and he was ready to kill everybody and God sent him encouragement. But David's a big boy now. He learned how to encourage himself. He said, I remember when I was out there by myself tending the sheep and it was dark and dreary and I was scared. I sang myself to sleep. I got me a psalm and I started writing down songs and I started making up stuff to God and I survived. And he goes back to the same roots. Don't ever lose your foundation in God. You know, people want to get to where they, oh, I don't do that no more. I, you know, me and God, we just know, honey, you need to go back to your roots where he found you. Huh? Get them old. We used to listen to them hosannas till we wore them out. Huh? I hear them songs now. I say, ooh, we heard that in a long time. We go back to reminiscing, huh? Well, that would get us over. You know, we knew a little bit of word, but, but that was, was what we leaned into. And so that's how you encourage yourself in the Lord. You don't need somebody to always tell you what to do and you can't do this and you'll get the wrong advice. You keep reaching out like that. But David has grown up now. He's got his own song to sing. He's got him a priest and choir of the Lord. And he asked God, uh, see when he was over there in the camp trying to get his stuff from Nabal, he made up his own mind how he's going to do something. God, I'm out here by myself. Ain't nobody helping me. I don't have, you know, Samuel's dead. What you want me to do? I'm going to go kill me somebody and take my stuff. That's what children do. They demand everything. They use their own strength to get what they want. But David's grown up now. Got him two wives and some kids. You gotta settle down, bro. And so, <laughs> he probably learned how to behave real good with two wives. Come on now. So he, he, he gets the priest and the priest Inquires of God for him. God's setting him up to be king. David, this is how you're going to approach me from now on. You're going to encourage yourself because I've been with you. I've shown you all this. You've been running for Saul for 13 years and I've been showing you that I'm still with you after all these years. You're not there yet. And I think you know why. Huh? He's married to two women. One of them's a prophetess. Huh? So she probably cut her eyes and he know what to do. Yeah. <laughs> I'm messing with y'all. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying. Wives do that anyway. You know the look. You're like, we'll talk later. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Put that on hold. But, but, but he's, He's taken care of now. He's been elevated to a position in God where he has godly people now. Not just fighting men. Not just men who will take a sword for him and all that kind of stuff. But he's got godly people around him now permanently who can keep him going. And so he decides then that he's going to inquire of the Lord what to do in this situation. He's taking responsibility for the other men that are with him too. 
See, when you slow it down and you make an assessment, you realize I could, if I move wrong, I can get all these men killed. Their children and wives could be, could die. I've got to make sure that I'm not moving in haste and taking things into my own hands. So <clears throat> David now is able to transfer control, total control of his life back into hand of God. If you look at where he started with fighting Goliath, it's the same pattern. You inquire of the Lord. You listen to God. You rely on your experience with God. And you, even though you're out running for your life and fighting for your life, don't you lose your connection. You can still connect with God. I don't care how difficult life is for you at a particular time. Don't lose that connection and don't lose that encouragement that he gets from God. So God, he inquires of the Lord and God tells him to pursue those men. You're going to catch them, you're going to overtake them, and you're going to get all your stuff back, David. And so David then goes and he finds an easy way to ease up on these people. They left somebody behind that they didn't want to take with them. Uh Sometimes another church, those who are rejected from one fellowship will be the best people that you have. Amen. That can, amen, that can really, people aren't done, done with just because they've had trouble somewhere. Trust me. And it's, it's not always the people in the church that's the problem. Sometimes it's the little sheep that don't know how to. You understand what I'm saying? Some people don't stay anywhere long enough to learn anything. Amen. You know, you sometimes you, you take little, little puppies and they, you put them over in their food and they got the foot, foot stuck in the food and, you know, <laughs> I mean, seriously, they don't know. They don't know that's a bowl and keep both feet out of it, but they get over in there because they want to eat something, you know. So they have to be taught. You know, sheep have to be taught that they're not the only person in the church because they want and they want to take up the pastor's time 24 seven. You understand me? They, you, you get what you need. Just come regularly. You God will feed you. He will help you. All that kind of stuff. And so you have to you have to stay beyond the point of offense in order to learn something because the devil will make sure you get offended about everything. But anyway, God was able then to to show David little by little. He got David back over into their familiar routine. David could always call on the Lord, and when he needed help, he could get help. But but he had to take him away from everything that was comfortable and familiar in order to grow him up. Amen. All right. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for understanding. Thank you, Lord, for the things that you're giving us today by your precious Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father, for our time of fellowship one with another. Bless our bread and our water. Take sickness from the midst of us and just let us enjoy ourselves in you continually, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. Amen. Anybody needs prayer, come on up and I'll pray.